Before you ever get to know anyone else, make sure you know yourself. Welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today I have a special guest. Hey guys, how you doing? My name is David McClam. I am a, a podcaster, producer of a show called True Crime and Authors. I'm also a survivor of domestic abuse, both on a parental end and on a domestic end as far as a partner goes. Uh, and I do work for a number one tech company full time. So I'm I'm excited to be here. Tiffany, thank you for inviting me onto the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I would just love to get a man's feelings on all this because a lot of times people say that men are scared to come forward. Do you find that's true? Like you're you're embarrassed by abuse? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say scared. I will say embarrassed. You know, men are we're kind of groomed in a different way, especially I'm being I'm African American. I have some Hispanic friends, same way. Uh, but you have to always be strong and be the one to get through everything. And I know a lot of times, even when people die now, like when my mom passed in 2020, my oldest daughter came to me and said, well, you know, if this was me, I'd be all over the place. I'm like, you have no idea what I went through for two weeks, but that I have all of these women, my wife and all of my daughters come in. I was always raised. You got to be strong, get the women through everything. So that's why I'm proud to put my story out there because what nobody knows is there's a lot of us that are men that goes through abuse every single day. We just don't talk about it. For one, we're not believed. You know, when you call a police officer and say, hey, this woman was abusing me, I've had cops laugh in my face and be like, look at you and look at her. And I'm like, yeah, when you get hit in the back of here with a frying pan, though, that'll take down anybody. Right. Uh, so that's why I was excited to come share this, because, yes, there's a lot of men. It needs to be made aware. There needs to be awareness. We always hear about women, never men. And hopefully by me coming on here, coming out, answer some questions, maybe we'll get more men to come out, too, and, and get the healing they need. I've always tried to include men in my episodes. <laughs> I was like, no, it's not just women. It's men, too. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> so you said you grew up with abuse. I did. My father uh, was very abusive uh, to me and to my mother. Uh, my mother was my rock through all of that. Uh, I remember things going back as far as uh, four years old. And that's one thing I like to tell your audience is, if a kid comes and tells you that they remember something as far back as two or three, don't just say, boy or girl, get out of here. You don't remember that because if it's traumatic, it's something that always sticks with you. Even if you don't remember the exact sequence of things throughout your life, there'd be things that will trigger that. And you'd be like, you know what? When I was three, this same thing happened. Uh, but in our case, yes, my father, uh, which I'm a junior. So my full name is Raymond David McClam Jr. I never go by that. I go by David. My mom's always called me that because there was two Raymonds in the house. But as I grew up, I never wanted to be called that because my dad was a horrible person. And he was my mother's first love. Okay, so basically they fell in love at 2021. And here I came. But he became very abusive. Uh, isolation. Uh, so what I mean by that is he strategically moved me and my mother away from the rest of the family. This is the first trait of an abusive person is they want you to be somewhere where you are completely alone. You have nobody to run to, nobody that can get you out of the mess that you're in. So you have no nothing else to do but to, de but to depend on that person, even if it is toxic. Um, and so he started beating us. Um, 
he raped me at a very young age. My own father did. I've seen my mom um, chained to beds, literally beaten to within an inch of her life. Um, he's hung me out of three-story windows before oh and pretty goodness. much told us, you know, you have nowhere to go. No one's going to save you. No one's going to help you. Uh, this is it. And I mean, as horrible as it sounds, my mom would get beat for something as simple as his spaghetti not being hot enough. Okay, so instead of saying, can you reheat this? No, that that's followed by a punch or, or a slap. And I do believe. Control. Right, right. Uh, control is very important to talk about, too, because that is that element. I, I get tired of hearing people say, well, why did she go back to him? Or why couldn't she just leave? There's a control element. And even if what the person that's abusing you tells you, like, if you leave, I'm going to kill your whole family. Or, or if you leave and I catch you, that's going to be it. You believe that. And it's horrifying because you want to get out so bad, especially if you have a kid in that situation. But you're like, but what if things go sideways? And what if the police comes and arrest him, but he's only gone for an hour? Then he comes back. Right. Then I got to I got to deal with all of that. So that's a little bit what I would do as a as a kid. I do know that my mom, I believe, went to her grave at 68 years old because of the beatings that she did sustain. And what people need to understand is even if you got beat 20, 30 years ago, some of that trauma hits the body. It never goes away. And you can die from that years later. Yeah, that's crazy. Just like they say, you know, the body doesn't let go of trauma. You have to physically work to remove it or it stays there. Right. And, and as, as a man, a lot of those things goes into the factor of the rest of your life. Like, so for instance, when I was a younger kid, I did battles with, well, what he did to me was right. Uh, am I gay now? Uh, did he take away my sexuality, right? These are things that actually go through the mind. And I have friends in the LGBTQ community that's like, well, uh, asking that question is offensive. I said, you need to understand that is something I go through because I'm raised one way. And then when your own father does this to you, and if he's part of that raising at the time, you question all of that stuff. Absolutely. Um, He's supposed to be your protector. Right, right. And throughout life, you never get rid of it. I have triggers now. A lot of people say, why do you do true crime? I do true crime because there are stories like this that needs to get out, that needs to be heard. I handpick the stories that I do, and I'm kind of careful because, for one, I never glorify the person that committed whatever crime I'm talking about. But you need to be made aware of that these things happen now, and they have happened. It may be somewhere in this story it triggers you enough to say, maybe I need to come out and share what happened to me because this is, this is criminal. So even though some things like child abuse or a child being raped, even a woman being raped is triggering. I handle my triggers a lot differently now at 50 than I did when I was 25 um, because I'm able to work through them a lot more And podcasting, believe it or not, doing these crime cases actually helps that tremendously. I totally get that because you will like you identify with certain aspects and you're like, do you guys get the picture? Like, I hope you're hearing these like, you know, when he takes your phone and says, you know, you can't talk to people and, you know, you're not allowed to wear red lipstick anymore. And oh, guess what? You're not allowed to wear skirts anymore or stuff like that. Those are all like little stones to what's the big picture going to be like you really right, got to right. wake up and look at like that's not normal. Absolutely. And then if you look at that, the control mechanism keeps going because when you get away from these things, here comes what I call the crooner. So 
shows up, oh, baby, I'm sorry. You know, I'll never do that again. Can you please just come back? You know, and my mom went for that several times. Well, because, you know, we went to several shelters. Back then, women and children's shelters, they're supposed to be so locked down. No one's supposed to be able to find you. My dad found us a couple of times. Right. And he's outside the door talking about something. You need to come back. And, you know, then if you don't, I'm going to rip this shelter up. So then my mom goes back. And then finally, when we get out of that, what people need to believe too, understand is sometimes that becomes a cycle you can't break. Because when we got away from my mom, it seems like every other guy that she got involved with somehow was an abuser. Uh, and the, the good thing about that, though, was I was getting older. And I was getting bigger. The only thing that I would ever give my dad credit for is my genetics that passed on from me to my sons. When I was young, I was part of my friends, a shit brick house. You know, I was six pack <laughs> everywhere, big arms. Not the case now, but that's what I was. Um, so guys became a little bit more, even at 12 or 13, fearful of what I would be able to do physically. But my mom ran into another abusive relationship with a guy named Simon. Didn't, you know, he came off with, I like you and your son. I want to take care of you. My mom was working three jobs at the time and he seemed to play his cards right. Come to find out this dude just got a jail uh, serving 25 years for murder. Um, and when we, when my mom gets involved with them, she's with them about a year and he puts a gun to her head in the middle of the day and go, if you ever leave me, I'm going to kill you. So now my mom knowing she knew she went crying for help. Like this has got to be done in secret, but you got to get me and my son out of here. This dude's crazy. He's putting guns ahead. And I mean, the control with him, I think, was worse than my dad because he worked for the Royal Crown Company. I know I'm really aging myself, but, but back in the time before Pepsi was popular, we had Royal Crown Cola. <laughs> <gasps> I think I remember that. It was in cursive. Right. Yeah. big old RC on the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> so he worked for Royal Crown at the time. And he had it down to a science, you know, you better be home at this time. I know what time I get home is this. And if anything was amiss, it was a beating. So my mom now going through all of that with my dad's like, well, we ain't staying for this. She went to um, the human health and services department and said, my son, and I need help. And they actually orchestrated a plan. So where he wouldn't be tipped off. And they moved us out of at that time, Jacksonville, Florida to Arizona. And the way they did that was kind of smooth. They were like, we're going to pretend like everything's fine. You go to work, you know, make sure you send David to school. And then what they did when everybody was gone, they got my mom, picked her up, came and got me out of school. And they already had the Greyhound bus tickets ready for us to go. And we had all of our stuff packed. Previously, she said, whatever you can't pack, don't worry about it. We'll give you vouchers when you get there to get clothes that you need. We just need to get you out of here. So that's how we ended up in Phoenix, Arizona, wow. uh, in the shelter because of that. Holy cow. At least this time she was like, okay, no, I can't do this again. But I feel like people always end up in those kind of relationships because that's all you know. So at first, I'm sure she saw the signs, but they were kind of normal. It wasn't until the gun came out and then she's like, oh shit, we got to go. But like, I feel like that's the pattern. Like, that's all you know. You're comfortable with it. Right. And the thing was, is like he didn't come off like that. You know, I mean, when it comes to my dad, they were high school sweethearts kind of thing. But, you know, he was clean. He had a nice car and, uh, you know, he seemed to have money. So you wouldn't necessarily look at this guy and be like, this cat just killed somebody. It was in jail for 25 years. Right. So now when people start saying things like 
make sure you do background checks. There's a lady on your show that I heard. It's like, make sure you run a like a FBI, you know, quality background check. I don't remember her name, but I know it was because her whole life was a lie. She's finding out, you know, her dad was a gangster. And I'm sitting here going, <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here going, yeah, run those background checks because you never know. I always say that the military, now my dad was in the Marine Corps. And uh, first of all, I say this, you know, my honor goes up, my hat goes off to everybody who's a veteran. I appreciate everything they do, but I always grew up calling the Marine Corps the most stupidest branch of the service because the things that my dad should have gotten kicked out in court martial for, he didn't. Um, abusive, abusive of a, of a wife. My mom was complaining about that. Also, he was a drug addict. And I don't know what the rules are now, but back then you heavily could not, you could not be in any kind of drug stuff. Um, my mom was branded on the base. So he actually had four of his friends pick her up one day, carry her to um, a tattoo shop on his Marine Corps base. And on her left arm, he had a big old cross with the name Ray written across the bottom of that. Oh. And so my mom always grew up telling everybody that that's my son, because being that I'm junior. But when I asked her the story, I'm like, where would he do this? And she says, because he always felt that if I carried his name in a brand on my shoulder, no other man would ever want me. So all of this under the guise of the military and get this, he still got an honorable discharge when it was time for him to go. Wow. I don't know how far back you've listened, but I have quite a few people who have dealt with abuse and it's always been looked the other way in the military. And that's very unfortunate. Yeah. It certainly is. And there's a couple of cases I haven't done yet that I have in my books to do that deals exactly with that. You know, and some of these people are high end, uh, high end people, um, you know, corporals and things of that nature. Um, and then my son went into the Navy and, you know, he didn't even he got uh, I forget what they call, but it's less. Or he got a lesson honorable because we had started writing because there was things he was going through that the military wasn't seeing that dealt with his mental health. And when he said he wanted to kill himself. Their reaction is we got to get him out of here. And I'm like, this is not the way the military is supposed to be. You know, that's abusive in its own right. So there's a lot of things like that I talk about to make people aware. Yeah, It needs to be out there. I mean, there's just silent killers everywhere. I mean, you got them in the medical field. You got them everywhere. You just never know who you are going to run across in life. And that's scary. right. It certainly is said that you handled it very differently when you were in your 20s. How did you handle the stress then and or the trauma? Well, to be honest with you, I had just started handling when I was about that 18, 19 year old, uh, what my father had done. I had already grown out of the fact that I didn't have a dad to do things with. My mom was a saint. I love my mom and took care of her to the day she died. It was me and her. Everything that I am and the man that I am is because of her and hats off to her because she had to deal with something that I feel like a man should have been there to deal with, you know, especially with a, when a young child goes through puberty, you know, got to learn how to tie, tie, shave, all that stuff. It was always my mom. So by the time, you know, high school graduation came, I was well over that fact. But then it's like I jumped out of that into the fire of another one. Because I do have a story that I was also domestically abused by my first wife. So I've been married several times. I've been, I'm on my fifth marriage. And I like to explain that because abuse goes into a lot of that. 
Uh, when I was a young kid, after seeing what my mom went through, my whole goal in life was I just wanted to marry somebody and do the opposite of what he did. You know, I wanted to prove to everybody that marriage can work. I wanted to prove to everybody that you don't have to be abusive in a marriage and that everybody's not abusive to you. So I always had in the back of my mind that I always wanted to be be married as early as possible. So as dumb as this may sound, and I know you probably gonna gonna laugh, but it's true. So I met my first wife in high school. Uh, both of us was the same age at the time. I had transferred from a private school to a local high school. And I had two girls that was crooning all over me. Uh, apparently, one of them turned out to be my ex-wife now. And another one turned out to be the mother of my firstborn daughter. Oh, uh, my God. So look at that. <laughs> Get it, please. <laughs> <laughs> so we end up in the same choir. They're both oohing and on. And uh, so, of course, you know, being the 19-year-old man that most of us are, we're like, yeah, you know, I'm the, I'm, I'm the, I'm the she's. You know, I had a nice curl. I was going on. And so after having dealings with Sarah, I, and she ends up getting pregnant with Geneva, then I end up going having dealings with Kim, who was my first wife. And she was like, we're meant to be together. Now, I can't remember what the name of the movie was, but there was a very popular movie back in the time where these two people believed that they were meant to be together uh, because somehow their their belly navels looked the same. And so they were conjoined. Right. And so she was like, I think we're meant to be together because look at our birthdays. And I'm like, what's that got to do? She goes, well, your birthday is November 1st and my birthday is October 1st and it's the same year. So as dumb as those of us who are teenagers are, this is why we listen to any of my crime cases on teenagers. I'm like, teenagers are not very smart at 17, 18, and 19, people. You can't get away with this crime. I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Let's get married. Biggest mistake ever. And the first clue I should have took was I came home and I told my mom, so, you know, met this girl. We've been dating like, you know, a year now. We going to get married. And my mom, when we had the the wedding, because I had a number of friends who had pastors and, oh, yeah, we'll do the wedding for you for free. Come to our church. And my mom sat in the front row and she cried like we were at a funeral. Just boohooing, right? From the first time she walked down, I'm coming. I'm looking at my mom like, what what the hell? You know, what's going on? This supposed to be a happy occasion. So after the wedding, I, I looked at my mom and I'm like, you sat there and cried like we were burying your best friend. What happened? And she goes, I'm sorry, son. She goes, but you know, mama never steals you wrong, but this is not going to work out. And I fear that you have just walked into the biggest hell of your life. And I'm like, all right, mom, I understand you protective and everything. I'm 19 now. I got this. And she was right. And so Kim and I, we got married, you know, like everything else. And it didn't even last a year uh, because there was things going on behind my back that I didn't know about. Like her mom was saying, you got to take all this money and you got to stash all this money away because you don't know what he's going to do. And then it came out to a point where she's like, I'm like, how come there's nothing in this house but tuna fish and rice? And she's like, well, that's all we can afford because we're broke. Now, she worked at a bank because her mom worked there for a number of years. She had a good paying job. I worked at J uh, Montgomery Ward at the time. And um, even at 19, back then, you know, making eight, nine an hour, you know, that was good living wage. Come to find out she's stashing all this money. Um, and then when the when the final star came, I'm a musician. I've been a professional drummer for over 45 years. Uh, I was in a band 
And I had one of my best friends staying at my house because he needed some place to go. And so I knew the cadence of when I called home, how long it takes people to get from one room to the next. And if she's asleep and all of that. So I'm on the road in the middle of Canada and I call home and uh, he answers the phone and I'm like, hey, man, where's Kim? Oh, she's asleep. I said, all right, we let know I'm on the phone. I said, I'm in Canada. Three seconds later, here she is on the phone. I'm like, where was he at? Oh, he was just in the room chilling. I'm in the bedroom. Somebody's lying because it would take you about half a minute to get from where my living room was to my bedroom. You were supposed to be sleeping. That's at least another couple seconds to wake you up and then to the phone. Come home from tour, find condoms in the middle of the bed. That's where the domestic abuse for me began because I called her out on that. Uh, I got hit in the back of the head with a frying pan from her. Uh, I was locked outside of my house in the middle of Minnesota in the dead middle of winter with a negative six uh, degrees below zero with a negative 23 below zero wind chill locked out. Uh, I had been hit. um, And and before this, she had tried this. My mom was at our house and she had said something to make me mad. And I went to leave because being that I went through anger management for what my dad did to me, I had already had coping mechanisms that if you get me into a trigger state, what I needed to do to keep from being violent myself or to cause harm to anybody else. So I went to leave. She stood in front of the door to block me. And my mom said, are you a fool? If that boy (laughs) wants to leave, you need to let him leave. And her words were, I'd rather have him hit me than to walk out on me. And I'm like, that makes no sense. And so the reason why she got away with hitting me with frying pans and beating me in the body, yes, the police was finally called. And uh, back then they were like, well, if if he has to go, we're going to take her. And I'm like, I'm the one with all the whelps. But they laughed at me. You mean to tell me that she did this? You know, so she was all about, you know, five foot four. Um, She was a heavyset girl. But of course, at this point, I'm at least six one. I'm packing 230. I got arms out to here. They're like, I just don't believe that she can do this. So finally, the police like, what if, if you were telling me that she's the aggressor, then if she goes, we both to be taking both of you to jail. And I said, well, let's go. And then that's right. when she was like, no, I don't, I don't want to go. I don't want to do all of that. I'm like, then you need to do what you need to do here, officer. Cause I'm telling you, this is what's happening. And the only reason why is because she knew I would not hit her back because I was raised not to hit a woman and it is wrong. And I my mom go out through all of that and unfortunately women uses that against those of us who's been through domestic violence because they know but there is a snapping point sometime and even though i never snapped on her that's how i ended up getting domestically abused then uh she ended up raping me too so and a lot of people said that don't happen well she kind of lured me into her van we had been separated at this point about two months she supposedly wanted me back. So she had called and said, hey, can you meet me at my van? I just want to talk. And I said, all right, I guess. So her mom was filthy rich. They were throwing me all this stuff. You know, if you come back, we can buy this house you want. We can give you this money. I'm like, no, I'm just done. You know, when you domestically abuse me like that, it's just going to be over. Then well, why did you I go was, meet her? I went to meet her because my mom said, maybe you should hear her out, right? Because at this point in time, even though... Uh, she had hit me, but everybody, my friends were just like, maybe she just had a weak moment. Maybe she, she's sorry. I've looked at my mom. I'm like, okay, out of all the stuff you've been through, would you just go back? And she's like, yeah, but I think Kim is a little bit of a different person. 
And I was like, all right, well, let's see what comes out of it. And, and I thought I was pretty safe, right? Yeah, it was in her van, but it was in the middle of a parking lot because I had a hotel room that I was staying in at the moment waiting for an apartment to get ready for me. And um, yeah, it wasn't so safe. And so I, I had a pair of shorts on that day, went out. Basically, she locked me in the van. Uh, she started pulling on things. And even though I'm pushing away, her mouth went to certain areas and then began that. Uh, no matter what anybody says, another thing I get tired of, people say, well, it couldn't have been rape because, you know, she was wet or he was erect. Because you're going through trauma doesn't mean your body shuts down. Your your brain starts to know that something's wrong, but your body from those certain feelings don't just up and say, hey, this is wrong. We just going to seize up. It doesn't happen that way. And after that, I'd never seen her again. But these are things that men don't talk about that I'm happy that you're bringing this to light on your show because, yeah, I was domestically abused by a woman simply because I wouldn't hit her back. Now, I'm sure if I were to hit her back and beat her down, this would be a different case. But then where does that get me? Right. I would have been in jail. They would have automatically accused me of being the aggressor. Whether anybody wants to admit it or not, racism still exists. I'm a big black dude. She was a little white girl. That comes into factor. So there's a lot of things that, well, even Terry Crews, I don't know if you know the actor Terry Crews. Terry Crews came out recently saying that um, Harvey Weinstein, I think it was, had grabbed him by his junk, but he wanted to sock him, but didn't because he'd have been pegged as the angry black man and nobody would want to hire him. And I think those are stereotypes that we have to that we have to outlive, which is why we don't talk about it as often. I agree. I mean, abuse is abuse. I don't care what color you are. You could be purple, yellow, green. Abuse is abuse. And it's just everybody needs to get the fuck along. I do know that like some women that get raped, they do, they orgasm and then they have a hard time with that because clearly that is not something that you want to enjoy. But like you said, the body does not know any different. Right. And I, I've, I've, for some of the rape cases I'm looking at doing, I've actually ran across one where the lady said this, I read a couple of books like that too, where they're like, they were confused, you know, cause they're like, I'm not in this state of, pleasure i'm not having fun this is not something i wanted but my body just doesn't know when to shut down ironically though in some of the stories that i read it was because of the body reacting the way that they did that they actually lived right because when you think of a rapist or anybody who is abusive there's a lot of triggers that go off in their mind and rape isn't about sex it isn't about orgasms it's about feeling good it's about control it's about you having control over somebody so if you have a person that's raping someone because they have never been popular with the ladies or they just feel like a lady shunned them or whatever, and they feel your body give you that release, it snaps them into a whole totally new person. And then, you know, one girl I read about, she's like, so after that, after he, he was like, oh, you really like me, don't you? So she started playing in on that. Yeah, you know, you know, I, you know, I didn't want to be here, but now I'm here. You my man to the point to where he started to trust her and she got to get out of there and get some help. So, yeah, it's you have to. And then people say, well, every time somebody get caught for something, they want to scream rape. You got to listen to that. Yes, maybe they committed a crime. You need to listen to that there. And that's why in a lot of cases that I do that has domestic abuse in it and I read the case thoroughly, I'm the first to say maybe I shouldn't do this case because I have a different objective look on that. 
Um, like when it came to the case of the burning bed, that was a real case. Sarah Fawcett played in the movie. You know, that woman had gotten beat down and beat down and beat down and beat down. And her kids started getting beaten. And finally, she just threw a match on him. And what saved her was all the kids came and said, no, my dad was really beating the shot of her when we in the house. And, you know, we we had to get out. And so she got acquitted. I think so many of these cases, if you look into them, not all, but there are some that the woman or the man should never see behind bars. Get them some help. Uh, because the abuser has caused them to be who they are. And the only way they see out of that is if they kill somebody. I don't condone murder at all, but some of these cases you have to take and look at for what they are. Then you got to protect yourself. If that's the only way you're going to survive, it's if it's me or you, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> right. Going to do what you got to do. And it's like in the case of my mom, the reason why she never fought back when my dad was six foot four, 320 pounds, muscle everywhere. He was a martial artist. And so the people that's being abused, you have to think this. And if you look at some of these movies that deal with abuse, even though it's not real, look at the cycle that the producer have them go through. They're sitting there contemplating. Mm, well, now is the time to get out. There's a gun there. But what if I miss? Or what if there's no bullets? What happens? Well, that's the same thing. What if I try to kill him tonight and it don't work? What am I going to have to deal with after he gets up? Those things go through your brain. I, oh, I'm sorry. Ain't nobody worth me spending the rest of my life in orange and behind bars. I can't eat the food. It's too loud in there. I can't sleep. There's no alcohol. <laughs> it ain't for me. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> so what happened in your second marriage? So my second marriage, um, she was pretty much tainted by the way marriage went. So basically, I never gave myself time to heal from one to the next. Right. It was one of those things because of what I've been through is I'm making this work. That's it. So when I met my second wife, we met on a dating app and I was like, this is going to be all good. Uh, and no, she had misconceptions of, well, actually I'm confusing the two. Let's go back. My second wife was actually the mother of my two sons. So I have two older sons. She was in a situation where her parents kind of wanted to pawn her off. We had dated, but then she got, or she got pregnant with my older son. So I'll be the first one to admit people say it's false pretenses, but because of the stuff that I went through with my first child, now my first daughter, um, her mother wanted me nowhere in the life, even though I was there. She did everything she could to keep me out. I had to wait till she was 18 before I could reinsert myself back into her life. Now, she's the one I do my David Crime podcast with. I blamed her grandmother for a lot of things for over 20 years because of the fact that when she got pregnant, we were both underage, but she had just turned 16 and I was 18. So up underneath the laws of Minnesota, she was legal. But if she would have been, if it had been one month earlier, that would have been statutory rape because of 15. And from all the stories that I remember, they wanted to try to press that on me. I got calls from the attorney saying that they wanted to press statutory rape charges. Didn't even know she was pregnant, right? I go back to school after summer break and I'm getting told what a bum I am. I don't want to take care of a kid. So I walked into um, the counsel's office and I says, uh, is she pregnant? And they say, yes. And I said, okay, you need to get her ass down here. I will call my mom, call hers. I didn't know what's going on. Turns out it was true. After she was born, they wanted to give her up for an adoption. Now I have since had uh, talks with her grandmother 
actually now me and her grandmother gets along. She's pretty much apologized. She just she doesn't remember some things. But the one thing I remember vividly was it was basically said that they didn't want the kid to be raised by a black family. And the reason I remember that so vividly was because my mother jumped up and she screamed, well, she fucked a black man and she went to jump over the table. <laughs> and so I had to pretty much grab my mom, pull her back, walk out the door. And then what made no sense with that is one of the people that they had lined up to do the adoption was Kirby Puckett. If nobody knows who he is, he was the famous center fielder for the um, Minnesota Twins back in that day in the 90s. He since passed away. And I'm like, Kirby Puckett is about as black as I am. How does that make any sense? Uh, But they couldn't do anything with that because they had made the number one mistake, which is basically she wouldn't say, yeah, he's the dad. So now because she's adjudicated, I am the father, they can't do any of this without me signing a piece of paper saying I'm agreed with it. And I said, no, I said, I don't sign my kids away like a UPS package. We've given you options. You don't want to take them. And so uh, I was kept out of that. So because of all of that, unfortunately, her mother passed away about six months before mine did in 2020. And that sparked me to write her grandmother a letter uh, and her Uncle had the the nerve to say, well, that looks childish. And I was like, you don't know what I've been through because I went through the whole thing of this is what, you know, what I've become. This is the great dad I've become. This is what you guys removed out of her life earlier. Um, And I said, now that people's dying, I think it's time that we have this dialogue. And so me and her grandmother, we've had conversations. We've had this whole thing out. She's has a she's totally changed from who she was before which gives into the forgiveness piece of that. Sometimes you have to be open up to forgiveness and listen to what everybody's saying. There's a lot of things that her mother did do or said that wasn't true that I thought was her. So long story short, I've, I've, I went through all with that. When uh, she got, when my uh, second wife got pregnant, I'm like, we get married because in Minnesota, I have more rights as a, as a father, if I'm married to the person with my child, than if I'm not. Minnesota is a very woman and children state. All men are pretty much sperm donors and big accounts. And so, yes, I will admit that is the sole reason that I married her was because of that. That didn't last very long either. I didn't really expect that one to last. I was doing that more of a protection mechanism for myself being a dad so that I would be in my son's life. So then there's number three. Now, number three is the one I met on the dating app. Didn't notice at the time, but she already had in her mind what marriage would be turns out that her she'd never seen a healthy marriage her um her mom went through several different relationships where all the men did was cheat on her so when i met her we had been together like a year and you know everything was going good and she was like we need to take this to another level i'm like yeah you know i think we good let's get married it always seems these switches switch <laughs> when you get married right so like everything's going cool until you get married then I come yeah, to find I hear out, that so much. Yes. A lot of people say that. Right. It's just like, you know, she was cool. No signs of mental health trauma. None of that. We had even went to the point where we had gotten into a serious car accident uh, because a person darted in front of us when we was moving to our brand new home out in a place called Annandale, California. She had got really banged up and then she recovered. Everything was good. We get married. Then the problems began. The argument started creeping in because I worked uh, downtown Minneapolis is about a good 45 minute drive. And 
I knew things had been changing. And the one thing that really changed and what I think really did the twist was because we had lost a child. Uh, she had gotten pregnant and then um, things wasn't going right and kind of found out that the eggs or whatever didn't split right. So even though she was pregnant, there was really no child. And so I don't know if any woman listening to this has been through this. If you have, I'm sorry. It was traumatic because, you know, when you get told there is no child, but you're going to go through giving birth as if there is one or you, and you know, or you can come in and have a DNC, but they're like, we rather you just do this naturally. That's enough to make somebody go bananas, right? Especially a woman, uh, because she's going through all of the symptoms, all of the pains, all of the pushing everything. But at the end of it, there is nothing. And so I think in her mind, because her mom, you know, starts, well, he ain't really going to want you the way he wanted to, used to before. And I'm like, I'm totally not like that. I walked in one day and I heard her saying he, she knew I was cheating on her. She had been checking my mileage. Uh, somehow I'm getting off of work early and not coming home. And we had a big fight that day. I'm like, really? And I'm like, she goes, well, I just called your job. And they said that you got off a half an hour ago. And I said, how long does it take me to get home from the airport hotel that I work at to here? And she kind of looks at me like, I'm like, I didn't call and tell you because I wanted to come home and surprise you because they said I could go home early. From there, it just went down. So basically, I became people like, well, you just want to walk away when things is impossible. I didn't see it working out. And I said, I'm done. I said, we need to go get a divorce. I'm, I'm, I'm finished with it. I'm, I'm over. And she's just like, well, you would give somebody else all this time. But you won't give me. And at that point, because of all the things I had been through prior at this point, I'm like 21. I'm just like, I'm over it, dude. I'm I'm done. You know, this is the third time I've been married. I'm not even 22 yet. I'm just going to call it what it is and walk away. I vowed never to get married ever again. That obviously was a lie because here came number four. <laughs> <laughs> well, who wants to live like that? You're constantly being questioned and accused. No. Right, right. So once again, I'm telling y'all young people out there, dating apps is the devil. Met this <laughs> one, another dating app. This has got to be it, right? I live, you know, I uh, she lived in Indiana, lived in Minnesota, wasn't that bad of a drive. I made sure this is going to be right. We chatted on, on this app and then on the phone for like six, seven months. And I'm like, all right, this is long enough. I'm going to go see her. Went and saw her. In Indiana, she had told all her friends I was coming, her mama and daddy, and they was all like, yeah, this is going to be good for you. So again, another year goes by, marry her. <laughs> this is supposed to be it. Uh, you know, I, I, I already told her, I said, hey, I'm already three-time loser at this. It's not totally my fault. Let me give you the backstory. You know, I told her parents the same thing. Boom, my, my, my plan is to be with you for the long haul. Here we go. Well, didn't work out. So we get married. Probably the biggest wedding I had because our parents paid a lot of money to have us made in the gazebo by the church, went to Disney World for a honeymoon and the whole nine. Then shit hit the fan. So it wasn't even a year and a half into that. Now her parents wants to control our marriage. There is a and we were we spend a lot of time with her parents because her parents was farmers. Now, I know this sounds really bad, but the one thing I missed the most of the whole relationship was the fresh corn I got every year out of the farm. <laughs> when you eat fresh corn, you don't ever want to eat canned corn again. But we had these sessions where we just went out there and there was about 
10 or 12 people they fit off that farm. A couple of us was married. So we went out there, boiled and shook the corn and all that kind of stuff. Then her mom and dad started getting in her head. Didn't make matters any better that I became the number one nightclub DJ at the time for a club called Really Brothers. So then they started, you know how many women he around and you know that he out there doing this, that and the other thing. And I was like, if you feel that way, you can come up to the club anytime you want. Right. I even advise, won't you come hang out with me for the night? But she never wanted to come except for the times that they called themselves trying to catch me and caught nothing. (laughs) And so by the end of that one, it was her parents that ruined all that because her parents wanted to get in the middle of it. Uh, at one point, they wanted us to come move in their house so they can watch us. I'm like, uh, no. I said, uh, I've been on my own since I've been 19. If I'm not moving with my mom, I'm not moving in with yours. Uh, and so during that time, I was like, I'm already done with this. I'm not going to do what they want me to do. I'm not going to conform. These people robbed me down to my underwear. So <laughs> they came in. They took all my suits, my my shoes, my socks. I'm just like, what is that going to do for y'all? Right. And I I do think we would have made it if it wasn't for her parental interference. And I'm like, you know, because now that I've done this three times, I'm like, there are certain things. I don't know if you've ever done this, but after you go through so many things in life, I know a little bit about your story. You start in your mind saying, I will never put up with this, this, this or this ever again. And if it comes up, I'm just out. Right. And that's where I was at. I'm not going to put up with accusations. I'm not going to put up with abuse. No matter if it comes from you or your parents, it's just time to go. And I did try to stick around and make that one work because now that I'm, I'm a little older and, you know, I'm in 22, 23, 24 mode now. I'm starting to get into, well, let's see if we can do anything to fix this. But it was not fixable. And so uh, her parents pretty much said, well, just walk away. I came to California because I was doing a business trip, came back home. All my stuff was gone. She had already left. So that ended that one. That's crazy. I'd be like, you better give me my stuff back. So I, now at this point, I'm really done with marriage, right? Sounds it. I called my mom. I'm like, I'm just done. And my mom, being the Christian she is, she's like, you know what? Well, you If you're going to have a young lady, you know, she always said, a young lady should always be wife material. And if you can go having sex with everybody, you know, that's a sin. I'm like, you know, mom, I love the Lord. I'm a Christian. You really, I said, I'm going to have to take my chances because this is just not going to work out. And then number five came along. The one I'm still with now, Beth. So did you I wait her. two years for her? Because that's you're like the one year guy. I think you need to give it a little longer. <laughs> yeah, you 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 would kind of think that, right? Yeah, no, it didn't kind of happen that way. So I ended up meeting her on the tail ends. Um, of actually separating from my then fourth wife. And I meet her, the, once again, these websites and these apps, boy, get you. I met her on a website and we started talking. Now I did wait six months and then she said, come to California. So that business trip that I went on, actually I said, well, I'm coming to California for a business trip. Maybe we can meet up then. And I told her, I said, hey, I'm in the process of a, of a divorce now and the whole nine. So I came and I met her. So I called my mom up. I'm like, yeah, going to meet this girl. She lives in California. Never heard of Palmdale before. Okay. Well, I take that back. The only time I heard of Palmdale was because they have a famous artist that came out of here named Afro Man. He wrote a song called Because I Got High. And at the end of that song, he says, well, my name is Afro Man and I'm from East Palmdale. 
And I said, where the hell is East Palmdale? Because, you know, when you don't live or never been to California, all you see is L.A. You know, you see these tall, gorgeous white women that's got legs down to their knees with long hair. That definitely is not what California is, folks. Not all of it. And so um, I met her. She goes, yeah, I live in California. I said, where you live? She goes, Palmdale. I'm like, where the hell is Palmdale? So, you know, say, oh, it's the desert. It's Palmdale, Lancaster. We actually get snow down here. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Six months, I come meet her. And I called my mom and I said, I think this is it. I said, I think that this would be the one that I'll stick with through thick and thin. And yes, boy, it has been a lot of thick. It's been a lot of thin, too. But I said, all right. So we waited my divorce to go through. And then I end up marrying her um, that August. Now, here's the catch with that. In between the time that because to your point, we were going to wait. So I asked her to marry me. But we weren't planning on getting married for another one or two years after that, right? Because we wanted to, I said, we're going to do this, going to do this right. I want you to have the best wedding of, that I've ever had, you know, since I've been married four of the times before. You know, I got her the best ring and you know, I wouldn't spend a lot of money on her ring. Like, you're going to have the best ring. And we're like, well, let's plan the wedding. And we had at least set it out for a year until she got pregnant with my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so. She gets pregnant with my daughter, uh, who is my youngest daughter. And so we're like, mm. so then we start having this talk of, OK, we know we're going to be together. Do we want to get married before she's born? And I said, yeah, I said, because I don't ever want anybody to walk up to her and go that you were out of wedlock or you're a bastard child. So we got married that August and then she came in September. So if you and my Facebook friends for the first like two years of our marriage, you would see my post every year said, and to clear this up one more time, we did not get married because she was pregnant. This was already planned. We just jump-started it. So the the end of the rainbow to that one is Beth and I have now been together for 22 years, and we just celebrated 20 years of marriage, August of 2020. So I, I think this was it. I, I think, Tiffany, we got a winner. This, this is it. Hey, maybe fifth <laughs> time's a charm, you know? Maybe people are missing out. <laughs> Honestly, I just think maybe you're a hopeless romantic. You know, you you want to find somebody who's going to be your yin and your yang, and you're just, you know, that's not it. Next. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and a lot of that came from the abuse I went through because I just wanted to do for a woman what my mom didn't have done for her, right? You know, the not worrying where your man is. If he says he's at work, he's really at work. He comes home every night. He's there with your kids. I really beat myself up for a long time too, over the marriages that didn't work, especially the one that produced two sons, because my whole goal in life was I wanted all of my kids to be with me and to be able to uh, say, well, my mom and dad was together since I was born. They all can't see. I have a total of six kids um, to them from relationships past, you know, so my daughter was in high school at 19. Uh, then I have a middle daughter. Um, that was from a girl that I dated for a long period of time that I was going to marry her. And so uh, I look at the two that's home now, the 20 year old and now the 13 year old. And I said, you guys are the most fortunate two. And I do think that they pay prices from that, from the other two girls, because uh, my sons did have the ability to be raised by me. They lived with me for a period of time, the whole nine. So they knew what it was like. Um, but two of my girls didn't know that. And I think sometimes that falls on the two that's here. And I told I told both of them, I said, that's not my fault. I said, I have court documents that I tried to get you. 
my middle daughter and I don't really talk that much right now because, you know, her grandparents is the catalyst of her world. And I can't stand them because of the fact that um, her mother became a drug addict uh, mm-hmm. to the point to where she ended up getting pimped out by a, a boyfriend who was also abusing her. I had no idea about this. I didn't know until I got a call saying, hey, she's here. And she says that you're the father of one of her daughters. And I went to bat to get her. But her parents, her mom didn't want anything to do with her. Wouldn't take them in. That's how they all ended up in shelters. Then she went lying about me. And I first I said, if anything comes to this, I will sue the hell out of you because she went telling people that I was a drug addict, too, and that I spent time in jail um, and that I was beating people. And I'm like, first of all, where do you get this stuff from? I've never been in jail a day in my life other than the parking ticket. And I walked out of that place within a couple of hours. Um, who did I beat and what drug did I take? And at the time I was raising a couple of businesses. So I, I literally called her and said, if anybody ever believes you, I hope you got the money to pay me because now you're slandering me. And so we haven't talked in a long time because we had an argument about her grandparents. And did you want to say what good that she did for her? And I said, I don't see it. I said, all she did was kept us apart and she was the, and they went legally and adopted her. How they got around that, I don't know. No, because it should have came to you first. Right. And how they got around that, I don't know. But somehow they pulled some some triggers. My wife, my current wife and I actually flew back to Minnesota a couple of times to go to court cases. All of the uh, attorneys was just like fabricated because we was going to take her in. And she actually had another brother from her mom. Uh, who's her half brother, but he had disabilities. And so they're like, we don't know where he's going to go. We're like, we'll take both of them. But it didn't work out because her grandparents blocked that. And so I'm happy that the two I have here and the ones that I got to be raised by me was, and all we can do is just, you know, keep on, you know, the person that you are, you can't let your situation define you and you shouldn't beat yourself up over it. Absolutely. Do you ever see any of those behaviors want to come out? between like your children, like snapping or like with me, I always had to make sure I wasn't like verbally abusive. You know what I mean? Like anytime I'd get really worked up, I'd put myself in a mommy timeout because I'm not going that route. I don't want to do that. So I know I would like isolate myself. Did you ever see like any traits coming out? Oh yeah. And to go through the abuse that we've been through, you're going to see that. I think it becomes a what have you done to try to help yourself to my mom's credit? She put me into counseling from a very young age because of what my dad did. I grew up a very angry kid. You know, um, if you walked up to me and said, good morning, the wrong way, that could get you punched. Um, and up until, you know, several years ago, if you called me by my full name, that was a cussing out because I didn't want to be associated with any of that. And so from her sending me to counseling and them them teaching me the various different ways to handle my anger when it comes up, like now me and my wife get into an argument sometimes, she'll go, well, don't be yelling at me. I'm like, I'm not yelling at you. I said, I'm yelling because that helps me expose this. Now, if you want to try to suppress that, whatever comes out of that after that, that ain't my fault anymore. I said, I went to counseling to handle this. You need to let the process work. And that I think is the problem with people like us is people want us to be normal. The fact is, we're never going to be normal again. No matter how normal we want to be, we're not going to be normal because there's going to be things that triggers us that don't trigger a normal person, right? So if you was domestically abused by a certain man that looked a certain way and he always wore a certain cologne and you smell that and see him, there's a trigger. 
And that was what happened with me of a, of a big black dude. Cause my dad was black. He was blacker than the ace of spade. If you walk down the alley at night, you wouldn't know he was there unless he smiled. That's how black he was. And for some reason, my mom was attracted to these tall, seriously dark black dudes. And it became a trigger for me. Um, so now, yes, with my kids and plus my 12 year old son, he he's a whole trigger fest. Um, <laughs> I have to I have to walk away because I oh, he ain't doing this and that. I'm like, OK, you know what? I got to walk away for a minute. Then I'll come back and handle this because my mom always says, she goes, don't you ever yell at or touch your kid in anger. And she never she never did. You know, I came from the era of what people call abuse now. That's what kept me out of jail. My mom whipped my behind when I needed to be whipped, but she never touched me when she was mad. She'd be like, you know, what? you need to just go away. Let me let me cool down for 20 minutes. So, yeah, I think for people like you and I, that's always going to happen. We just have to now. Hopefully we're so far enough in our recovery of that, that we accept that fact that it's never going to leave us. And now we learn how to deal with it. Yeah. Everybody finds their own way. I really appreciated my mommy timeouts. Like I was not allowed out until I was better. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you, you, you learn different vices to cope with that. Right. So podcasting for me is one of the biggest ones opening up the leg of my show, talking to people like you, that helps me with that recovery. Um, I really took into video games. I play drums a lot. So if somebody really pisses me off, I sit down and pull up some Call of Duty and say, hey, I can shoot everybody on here and not go to jail. So we're going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, Steve, that's great. That's what I'm like trying to make people understand. When you do things to your children, you have no idea the impact that it does. And we all get frustrated. We all lose our shit sometimes. It's called being human. But you have to watch. It's not like a constant thing that it's going to stick in the kid's mind. Um, right. Because a lot of this, the crimes, they go left. Like, look how many serial killers were, you know, raped and whatnot. I'm so happy that you dealt with this in a different manner. You know, you healed, which is so important. People need that. You needed that. And the thing is, we have to be we also have to be careful of people that went through abuse because we're dangerous. The reason I say that is this. Uh, I'm sure you do. I know every law that deals with somebody that went through the trauma like me. Right. So I know that I can literally go out and just shoot somebody right now and go to court and rock back and forth and pretend to be half crazy. <laughs> and then they pull up my whole mental record. I'm like, yeah, he got a problem. And that's it. You know, there is a movie that was made about that. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's uh, Primal Fear. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies uh, because at the end of that, so the attorney is doing everything he can to get this guy named Marty off. Marty uh, was called up because they had killed a bishop named Bishop Rushman because he was in the Catholic Church because he was abusing people. And so this kid ends up killing them, and the attorney's job is to get him off. Well, he gets him off because of the fact that they say he was insane, that he snapped because of the fact of the rape and they had saw the tapes and everything. And then at the end of the movie, he walks in and the dude. So he's going, you see the attorney at home going, something's just not right with this. And so he goes in and he starts going, OK, right now, tell me the truth. You son of a bitch was what, what, what was the truth? And so the dude starts clapping. He goes, thank you. You got me off. He wasn't crazy at all. But he <laughs> knew that if he could sit there and say this is why he did it and get one person to believe him. He can get off. You got to be careful out there, people. <laughs> hey, that's some shit. Yes, absolutely. 
do you have any like last things you want to tell people or let them know where they can find you if they want to listen to your podcast? Sure. I, I guess the one thing I want anybody to take away from my story is for one, don't feel sorry for me. Um, it's a story I like to tell because I like to bring awareness and hopefully there's a man listening to this right now that hears this and says, Hey, if I can do it, then you can come out and do it too. Don't let your situation define you. You are more than whatever it is you've been through. You survived all of that for a reason. Um, and I was told that I would never be successful. I was told that I would, you know, abuse everybody that I was with. Uh, I'm 50 now, very successful. I work for one of the biggest tech giants in the world. I'm podcasting. Don't let people tell you what you can't do. Maybe they feel they can't, don't mean you can't. So I've been podcasting for five years in May. Um, I did another show with my oldest daughter called A Day With Crime before this one that has now since went on hiatus. I started True Crime and Authors September of last year. Uh, I did YouTube for almost 14 years. So if your audience is familiar with the game Rock Band, uh, there's a YouTube channel called Cena's Corner that's still up there now. I did all of the reviews for that. So a lot of the peripherals, guitars and pedals you got in your home, they came through mine first and I did a review on it and then they got shipped out to the market. Yeah, that's what's up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just today on um, Instagram and all that, I posted, do not let anyone tell you who you are. So when right. you said that, I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess the last tip I would give is don't let people put you in that pigeonhole because they're going to tell you, especially partners. I went through this myself. If you yell a little bit, oh, that's because you was abused. No, it wasn't. Get out of that. And that's why a lot of men don't talk about it, because we already know that there's going to be women out there that we want to date that's going to use that against us at any moment. So know who you are. And if you know who you are, you won't let people put you into that hole. You're doing a good service here to bring awareness to things other than that, to show people we can do other things in true crime. And even though this is gruesome, here's a story that may resonate with you that can help you out. So I think I, you're doing an excellent job. Thank you. I really appreciate that. But if you guys ever want to tune into my show, it is called True Crime and Authors. It can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, every place you listen to it at. TrueCrimeAndAuthors.com uh, is my e is my uh, website. And uh, TrueCrimeAndAuthors at gmail.com is my uh, email address. All right. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say I'm sorry to hear about your mom. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a, it was a big shock for us. Uh, she passed September 14, 2020. I don't forget that date or September 4th. I'm sorry. Um, but then what happened is we went through a, a series of that. Then my father-in-law died 11 months after that. Mm. Um, and so my the way my mother died, she died of sepsis. Uh, so she had an infection after she had gotten um, she had cancer. The cancer had moved to her arm. They went in. And we tried to sue the doctor because it's the doctor's fault. But because she died during COVID, nobody put the real reasons why people was dying on death certificates. And you have to have that walk in to have a suit. So thank you. It's, it's been rough, uh, but I, I hope that I'm making her proud every day I wake up. So you are. I mean, I see it. I think you're doing awesome. You're doing a great job. So and I just I love how you have completely transformed what could have been. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's a long journey, you and your five marriages. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's been long. It's been, it's been one. I don't advise anybody to do it. It's been one. <laughs> uh, perfect. 
All right. Well, thank you for being here with me today. Well, thank you, Tiffany. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, not a problem. If you know anyone who could benefit from this episode, please make sure you share it with them. Head over to crimeovercocktails.com. That is your one-stop shop. You can listen to the episodes. I have a page dedicated to helpful helplines for you. And it's also a good way to find all my socials. All right, you guys, we'll talk crime another time. Bye.